Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. We at the Nasty Woman Club pay our respects to the traditional custodians of the Mianjin land. We acknowledge that we are on the stolen lands of the Yaraga and Turbul people, whose sovereignty was never ceded. This is a Lip Media Podcast. Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of the Nasty Woman Club. I'm your host Demi Lynch and today we're going to be looking at some topics that might be triggering for listeners out there. So before I even begin, I want to give a trigger warning to everyone. This podcast episode will be discussing eating disorders and there will be mention of suicide and self-harm. So if this episode is triggering, please contact Lifeline at 13 11 14 or the Butterfly Foundation at one 800 During today's episode, I will be speaking with Courtney Scott. Now, she has come onto today's episode to speak to me about her experience with an eating disorder. During our discussion, she spoke to me about the years of using food to suppress her emotions and her experience going in and out of private and public hospitals to help recover from her eating disorders. I really do thank Courtney for being so vulnerable and just really letting it all out with me and just really telling me the details of what happened because as she says it was a very low point of her life but since then she is doing amazing and she really wants to help others that are experiencing low points of their life as well to know that there is a light at the end of the tunnel that things can get better it might not seem like it but they can so I think it's very important that Courtney came onto the episode today just to hear her inspirational words about recovering from an eating disorder. This is Courtney Scott. Courtney, thank you so much for coming onto the podcast today. We've finally got this all organized. It's taken me a bit, but we are finally here. Thank you so much for joining me. That's all right. I'm really, really excited. I really cannot wait for the audience to just hear your story because I really think a lot of people will benefit from hearing your story and about your experiences and then they can know as well that they are not alone in the experiences that you have lived. So if you can maybe just take me back to the beginning of where the story of yours starts. So I was diagnosed with an eating disorder when I was 15 and I think there's a lot of different contributing factors that kind of led me to it and I think um there's no one that you can specifically blame or whatever. Like I think there was a lot of different things that led up to it, but yeah, I think it's interesting with like genetic factors that contribute to it. Um, like diet culture. Um, I had like a history of like abuse and stuff. So there was a whole mixture of things that um, 
to it. But yeah, then I kind of went into like a dark kind of headspace and um, I suffered quite a bit from depression and I had a suicide attempt and stuff. So yeah, it was pretty, yeah, pretty rough time. So when you were diagnosed with this eating disorder, did you know much about it? Like you said, like there would have been several influences like did you know much about this eating disorder was it something that you took seriously when you were diagnosed like what was your previous um perception of it well I had some idea of like kind of about what they were I knew a couple of people who did have them but yeah really it was kind of like for me it was kind of a way to kind of control my world and deal with all my emotions and kind of suppress them because I grew up in a family where there was no communication, emotions. I think just generally in society, like back when I was 15 at least, I think it's getting better, but emotions just aren't talked about. And um, I think that's partly why I'm on here is to like kind of, I really just want to encourage people to be vulnerable and open up about how they're feeling because, I don't know, it can have a really detrimental impact on an individual. But, yeah, anyway, so I think there was, um, yeah, a really issue around kind of, being able to express my emotions and Mm -hmm. I always felt like I needed to get rid of them or emotions were like good or bad but over time I'm and now I realize that like no emotions good or bad it's just part of being human but at the time I kind of just wanted to suppress everything and I used eating disorder behaviors um that kind of consume my world to like get rid of that and take my mind off um different like traumatic things that happened to me in the past and stuff so so then when you were diagnosed was it you obviously couldn't just like you know flip a switch and you all of a sudden were okay with expressing your emotions it obviously took many years of trying to want to seek help like did you have to did you seek help yourself then or did you have to then did others try to make you seek help to make yourself quote-unquote better so I kind of like went in and out of just like seeing a psychologist I'm very very lucky that my parents could afford to and were also willing to let me see someone to get help but I was quite reluctant to seek treatment because I didn't realize I had a problem I didn't think there was anything wrong with it and it was also like I felt really embarrassed as well I don't know there was a lot of shame attached to it why do you think you felt shame for having an eating disorder I think it came with the level of like I don't know how to describe it but I just didn't want to show any emotion within mm. my family, my friendship groups. Like I didn't want to be not okay. I wanted my life to be kind of together. I was, I'm a perfectionist or I have like those kind of qualities. So I didn't, I don't know. I was just so terrified of being vulnerable. So I think that really played into it. And I wanted that something to be kept. It was like my way of dealing with things. So I didn't want anybody else to kind of interrupt that. So what was that like then all of a sudden being pretty much told that you have to let out all your emotions then to this psychologist? Did you struggle? I hear people all the time, they say they struggle finding the right psychologist because obviously not every psychologist or therapist is suitable for every person. Did you stick with the same person? Was it a struggle trying to find someone that actually really connected with you and felt like they're going to help you? What was that like? Yeah, so I went back and forth um, just with like, once a week kind of psychology appointments um, with a psychologist and I went through a couple there and then my parents kind of just wanted me to they kind of ignored 
that I had a problem or I kind of convinced them that everything was fine and I got to year 12 and they were kind of like okay just focus on your HSC life will be better and I was like yeah I'm great and I kind of hit it I had I didn't I had bulimia at the time and Mm -hmm. I I think there's a common misconception with eating disorders that you have to be like severely underweight to have an eating disorder, but that wasn't the case for me. So I managed to kind of hide it, commits everything was fine. And then, but I think deep down, I really needed that support and I was so depressed. I was extremely suicidal, um, engaging self-harm and stuff, but I ended up just being put in when I was 19, I was put in a inpatient clinic Mm-hmm. And I changed treatment teams and I was there for three years um, in and out of like public and private hospitals, which it's a whole nother story in itself. But um, mm-hmm. yeah, I think I was still in that really horrific head, headspace and I kind of switched between bulimia and anorexia and I completely screwed up my body and stuff and I didn't want to get better um, and I think it really impacted my brain so I was kind of in that period of time I don't think I actually had I wasn't feeding myself well or nourishing myself enough for my brain to actually function properly so I didn't want to get better I feel like I actually couldn't being in that headspace at the time but then fast forward like a few years and I was 21 I think and I switched to a psychotherapist I'm very grateful for the dietitian and psychologist I saw before then because they kind of like supported me during such a dark time and I was like mentally so out of it and kind of fucked um yeah I was out of it my brain was like dead so they really supported me and continued to like see that part of me that like small part of me of my personality that was still there so I'm grateful for them but then they kind of was were like okay this isn't working we're gonna give you over to a psychiatrist who's really well known in the country and so I switched to her um, and I saw a different dietitian and they've been like such a blessing and like I'm just like words can't describe how much I've learned from them both and my psychiatrist is like she shared all about her life we have a great therapeutic relationship so like we share a lot about each other's lives and I've learned so much about like general life advice and stuff and she really really helped me to get out of that headspace so I've learned a lot from that that's so great because it is so hard to try and have that good therapy relationship because yeah, like I said, like it's hard to find someone that really can connect with you and also not every treatment suits everyone. When you went to that facility and you had to, and you said that you're in and out there with a public and private system for about three years, I know it might be hard to try and remember because as you said, your mental headspace just wasn't right. What was it like though at the very beginning when you were put in this facility, like, you know, you're isolated physically from everyone and mentally from everyone. Like what, like what happens? Like, do you just, is it like, you know, what you see in the movies? Like, you know, you stay in this room and what is, what happens? So I went into a specific eating disorder unit and you're kind of surrounded by other people who struggle with similar issues and you have like three, it's weird, like remembering back because it kind of feels like a dream because it's so long ago it seems like so long ago and I feel like so much has happened since then but yeah yeah so you have like it's all kind of based around meal times so you have like the three main meals and 
free snacks and you go down to the kitchen like dining room area for that and then in between you have like different like group activities so you do become quite and you share rooms with other people so you do become quite close with the other patients that are on the ward so I think I think going in there initially I was quite overwhelmed because there's people of like all different ages you see a lot of like fucked up stuff as well so like I was exposed to a lot of different things that might not have been super helpful for my own recovery but at the same time you do form I don't know like a weird kind of bond with like other people there because you're living together for a while and like I don't know you kind of watch movies together it's not all like you're locked up in your own room Mm, Um, yeah like isolated from everyone kind of thing like you have group therapy and chat to like the nurses and stuff and they like it was such a blessing in itself I think they really really helped me yeah in so many ways and I'm really grateful for them but yeah yeah it's kind of it's not like semi made it like I feel like sometimes it's what it seems like in the movies but then other times it's completely different What was that like then having such a routine with your meals? Like you said, for many years you were bulimic and what was that like then having to have like such a structure around meals and have your day be so, so associated with food, whereas before you were trying so hard to like rid food from your life, if that made sense? I think it was really overwhelming because I feel like you engage in behaviours, you constantly have like I was constantly having thoughts about food and I had rules in my head and stuff around exercise and all of that kind of thing. But I think definitely, if anything, like the structure, actually it was very hard because then all your emotions are brought up because for many years I was like using food or whatever behaviours I was engaging in to like suppress all my emotions. Whereas like when I'm made to have the meals and like stop engaging in other behaviours, all these emotions start started to come up and like bad memories from the past and stuff came up. So I was very emotional, I guess you could say, and very like chaotic. Yeah. <laughs> and that would have been great that even at least you had like other people to connect with. Cause I assume they would have been the same. They would have had such a bad relationship to food. That's then when their lives are so like structured around meal times, that would have brought up so much emotions for them as well. Yeah. And I think there's like, a level of understanding that probably nobody else can really comprehend unless you've actually experienced it then and there. But yeah, I think it's, it's hard because it's like, I do care about them and I do think about them every so often, but it's like, it's important, I think, to set boundaries with how often you engage with them and whether they're helpful for your own recovery or whether they might be more detrimental um, no matter how much of a lovely person they are because I have like I don't know I feel like for me personally I have the tendency to be like oh like I can see the good qualities in someone and I really care about them but I think like it's important to put yourself first in that situation and like decide whether people are unhelpful or helpful and like kind of be there for what you're there for kind of thing which is to get better. Mm, Exactly yeah because I know people say like, oh, you can't be selfish, but you do have to be selfish you have to think about yourself because if you don't, then all that hard work would have been for nothing. So I think it's great that, yeah, you set boundaries and and you would ask them to do the same thing. You don't want them to drag you down or you wouldn't want to drag them down at the same time. So you said earlier on about 
something about the public system and the private system and how through those three years that you switched between the two of them. Is the public system and private system very different to one another, very similar and how helpful they were? What was that like? So when I was in the private facility, it was more like, I would say like homey because you've got, or like familiar because you've got like a TV room, you've got groups, you've got people around you, but the public system is very based on more for medical help so if I like I had a lot of issues with my heart rate and 2017 was just a really bad year for me um Mm -hmm. but I think yeah a public system is more like you're in literally a hospital bed they try and fix you get your heart rate up refeed you tube you or whatever and then kind of get you out there whereas the private system is helping you to like regulate your meals and like getting you back on track and then you can attend the day program which is after that Mm -hmm. um so it's more like helping you adjust to real life on the outside after without engaging in your eating disorder but yeah I had different experiences in different public hospitals as well there were times where I was just bed bound and I couldn't move and couldn't I had to relearn to kind of walk again it was just very different yeah Wow, that would have been such a big change compared to the the other place. That would have been such a big change. What was it then like going from being in and out of these places for three years to then back to being at home? And what was that like then trying to incorporate your already structured, like say your food routines? Like what was that like then taking what you learned into the outside world? Yeah, well, I think like, so there was was periods of time where I had like a few weeks out but I didn't deep down in myself, I didn't want to get better and I didn't want to fully give it up. So then I would just revert back to behaviors. I get medically unwell or whatever. And then I end up back in hospital. But mm-hmm. in, so in 2017, I was probably in the worst headspace. And I think that was the first time where I was actually like quite scared of myself and my brain was just like literally dead. So I think it was September, 2017. And yeah, it was just like a really dark period. I was ended up in ICU and um, they told my family that I was going to die and I probably wouldn't make it overnight. Um, and my whole body was completely failing. Like I remember trying really hard because I was so out of it. I was just trying really hard to get myself to like structure a sentence together because my brain couldn't structure a sentence together so that I could try and convince the medical team to get me out of there or I'd repeat sentences over and over again but um a lot of that time was kind of like I don't actually remember it but Mm. I just remember like lying there in the bed in ICU and I couldn't walk or anything and I was just like I don't want this anymore and I I don't know what it was inside me, but I just didn't want it anymore. So I went back into the inpatient facility after ICU and spending a few weeks there in the public hospital. And then I was there for like a few months. And then when I got out, I kind of gave recovery my all. I put it as my number one priority. I kind of worked closely with my dietitian and my psychologist at the time. I just remember being like, all right, I know that like, I just really want to get better. I'm going to tell you everything. I'm going to be open about everything I'm struggling with, all my thoughts and everything. And I just trust that you have my best interests and you can help me. So I'm just going to do whatever it takes. 
so I spent six months after I came out of hospital attending a day program being like super structured with my meals that the dietitian has sent me incorporating like foods that I hadn't tried before or in years or whatever or that I was like scared of I don't know and prioritized my sleep which my psychiatrist said was like the most important priority that was just pretty much my top priority and then I got back into uni and I slowly incorporated different aspects of my life my brain was able to function better the thoughts and behaviors definitely slowly decreased my psychotherapist or psychiatrist she was able to like help me with life lessons that I've learned from her learning to say no and setting boundaries and knowing that it's okay to feel emotions and emotions aren't good or bad they just like pass through you and it's part of being human but yeah I've learned so much I could go on forever about what I've learned that's incredible because like to think like a couple of years ago there was a point that your parents were told that you wouldn't make it that you could barely even walk and now you're in uni and you're just does it feel like you now have control of your life and it's not like food has control over you you have control of your life now a hundred percent it's crazy to think that's why I was saying it feels like it's a dream because or more of a nightmare I don't know but like (laughs) (laughs) I feel like since I really focused on my recovery and I went back to uni and I put that as my top priority. I'm not engaging in any behaviours anymore. My thoughts have dramatically decreased a ridiculous amount. My thoughts aren't focused on food. They're more focused on, I don't know, what I have to get done during the day or like uni or I'm excited to go see a friend or just like other things. And my, I'm not on any medication anymore. My, I'm not depressed. My headspace I feel really grateful for how much I can do now and what my body can do. That's so great. Like ha- like just changing your headspace, it's not an easy job. It takes a lot of work. It takes many years of hard work. And like, like say teenage Courtney would not be someone that would be, that would openly say I'm grateful or I'm looking forward to the future. Like it's just really a really, really big achievement to just change your headspace like that. And just oh, so incredible. Like you should be so proud. Oh, thank you. I think it does. Like, I think it is important. Like it does take time and I feel like recovery isn't like linear. It's like up and down, but mm-hmm. it's slowly, it's kind of like a, like you're stepping up steps. Like you're kind of slowly getting there and you might have some setbacks, but in the end it's definitely worth it. And I feel like I've been able to, like, I used to think that I'm not good enough. I'm disgusting. I'm a failure and that kind of thing. And the more that I engaged in those core beliefs that I had about myself um, that had kind of been built up over time, I felt like the more being aware of those core beliefs in the first place is important. But I think the more I was acting in line with those core beliefs, the more it was reinforcing the core beliefs at the same time. So if I'm, if I try and act against or as if I am good enough or I am capable or whatever, and just like see what happens, then that was kind of my headspace. Like I was like, oh, I might just give it a go. See if I am capable of finishing a uni degree or see if I just like things like that. If I was going um, against those to see what, what happens. And I actually have proven to myself that I can finish a uni degree. Like I can engage in get back into my art and stuff that I used to enjoy. And I am capable of setting boundaries and everything like that. So I think it just takes like, the willingness 
to put yourself out of your comfort zone and I don't know think about like like someone was saying to me I don't know where I heard this from but often like if you're anxious or if you're nervous about something whether it's like recovery or whether it's just like turning up to a social event or something people like oh just say like what's the worst that can happen to you well if you say what's the worst that can happen to you you're just going to think about everything possibly that could go wrong Mm -hmm. but I try to change it to if I'm anxious or like fearful about something I ask myself like what's the best thing that can happen instead of what's the worst thing that can happen and I think your perspective definitely changes so yeah I think having different attitudes towards things and like acting in line with like your values I did a lot of like value work and stuff like that I think all kind of like worked together over time to kind of get to the place where I'm at now. Well, I think that's a great way to finish the interview is with that advice because I think a lot of people do struggle with just accepting the fact that they need help. I think it's really great that you're so open with talking about this, as in particular with eating disorders, because I still think that there's not enough conversations about eating disorders. There's a lot of stereotyping around it, in particular, like you have to look a certain way, which isn't true. Anyone of any size, any gender can have an eating disorder. So I think it's really, really great that you've been so open with me today and talking about your experience with your eating disorder and with depression. And I just thank you so much for just talking about it with me. That's okay. And I think like life is like so great outside of those thoughts and behaviors and everything. And like, I wouldn't ever go back to that at all. So there's like so much that you have to live for and there's so much life that you can enjoy outside of that. And I just want to like, remind people that I always thought deep down in myself like maybe I'm that person who will just be stuck in this headspace forever and I always had that deep down thought but I proven to myself that that's not the case so like if you've got that kind of deep down thought in your head like oh I'm just destined to have this forever and this is how shit my life's gonna be for the rest of my life like it's really not the case and life has so much to offer you just need to be willing and have the courage to like give it a go and see what happens. Yeah. yeah. You don't, you don't know what life has for you. So yes, give, give it a chance. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, thank you so much, lovely for coming onto the podcast. I really do appreciate it. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. I will let you go then. You have a lovely day. Okay. Bye. Yeah. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode with Courtney Scott. I really do appreciate you tuning into this episode. Again, if any of these discussions were triggering, please contact Lifeline at 13 11 14. Or if any of the conversations regarding eating disorders was triggering, please contact the Butterfly Foundation at 1-800-33-4673. Now, as always on my Thursday interview episodes, I announce Monday's topic, which is going to be all about toxic parents. Now, I know many people probably have a lot to say about toxic parents, and as you've probably heard me speak about before, I have a very, very toxic father. So Monday is going to be all about me ranting about my toxic father and I need you all to join in this good old-fashioned rant. So send in your messages or send in your voice memos to my Instagram or my email address, hello at the nastywomanclub.com. 
and tell me about your toxic relationship with your parents, whether that be your mother or your father. Yes, Monday is going to be all about toxic parents. How do we handle them? How do we distance ourselves from them without the guilt? And most of all, how do we just continue living life without feeling like all the pressures and the toxicity they brought into our lives will forever impact us? So yeah. I cannot wait to rant about it because, as you know, I love a good old-fashioned rant. Anyway, thank you so much for listening to TNWC. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a review. Every share, every rating, and every review helps grow this podcast. I'll be in your ears again on Monday. I'm your host, Demi Lynch. Stay nasty, everyone. <laughs>